Today we are doubling back and picking up what we lost in our Advent series on that snow day, the third theme of Advent. We're going to talk about joy, so it's a great lifting point as we head into the new year. This has been a great series all around as we've learned that in each of these themes of the season, there is a human version of that experience, and then there's a God version of it that came with Christ into the world. It wasn't just hope. It was a living hope. And it wasn't just peace. It was shalom, peace with God. The peace not like the world gives, Jesus said. And then last week we looked at love, and we looked at their unique choice of this at the time, rather unused form of the word love in order to capture a love that is completely divine and supernatural, agape love, uh, unconditional love. And we explored in Romans 8 the immense power of that love. And the same thing is true of joy. I love how Peter, trying to give this familiar emotion a whole nother dimension uses that phrase that Jessica read for us. Let's say it together from 1 Peter chapter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Again, it's not just enough to say that there's joy in following Jesus. This joy is something altogether different. So let's dig into this. 1 Peter chapter 3, let's go back to that verse, and let's look at those two words that Peter adds to this familiar word joy to elevate it into a divine experience, inexpressible and glorious. In the Greek, the word inexpressible literally means words fail. (laughs) So he begins by saying, what I'm trying to get you to capture This joy that is meant to be ours because of our faith in Jesus. Words are failing to describe the intensity, the experience that we're supposed to have in this joy. And then the word glorious is very interesting. It's the the word doxa. We talk about glory to God. Doxa is where we get the word doxology from. That word glory is not just an attitude. It, It means weight or worth. What he's saying is that this joy is not just a notion, but it actually has substance to it. It has great value. It's very real in ways that in other experiences, joy is fleeting. It's not fleeting joy. It lasts, and you can experience it in a way that you just feel like you're touching it. It has weight, body to it. And if you look at the text, What he helps us understand is that this particular joy can be present in all experiences. Pick up with me again at verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So one of the things in our pursuit of this divine joy is to understand that this joy is undeterred by the trials that we go through. This joy can be present even in the midst of sorrow. That that appears... To us, our understanding of joy to be something impossible. But yet, that's exactly what he says. 
And throughout history, you see examples of this, Christians who are going through the most difficult of circumstances, and yet in the midst of it, the world observes this joy that, as Peter says, it's inexpressible. They can't explain why they're seeing it at a moment like this. One of the more famous stories during one of the periods where Christians were being persecuted was a whole village in Europe. Soldiers had come and had stripped them all naked and sent them out in the middle of winter onto a frozen lake. They built fires around the lake and say, if you deny your faith in Christ and come and warm yourself by the fire, you'll live. Witnesses speak powerfully about this whole village coming together and singing hymns of joy and of faith in Christ. And that joy in the midst of that horrific event was so palpable, so real, when one of the people of the village, their faith too weak, came and warmed themselves by the fire, one of the soldiers was so moved by the joy he had seen that he stripped himself naked and replaced that man and went out to join them and die with them. Imagine that. Imagine a joy in the midst of something so horrific as a mass murder of believers, a joy that is unexplainable and yet so tangible, so real, so glorious that people are drawn to it. Somehow, somehow that's the joy that is supposed to be ours. So let's try to come up with a a working definition for this joy. And let me start by talking about what I think most of us confuse for joy and why, therefore, it's fleeting. And that is that we confuse the joy that God brings with happiness. Very often we'd ask somebody to define joy, they'd say, happy, I'm happy. Happiness. What's the root word for happiness? Does anybody know? Happen. Happiness depends on what happens in your life. We usually have a list of circumstances or possessions or relationships that we're striving to see in our life. That's what I want. That's happiness for me. And then our pursuit of joy in Christ is rooted around God making those things happen in our life. And if they happen, I'll be happy. Mere happiness. It's a shabby substitute for whatever this inexpressible and glorious joy that Christ gives us is. And we settle for it. And then when those circumstances change, when, when other stuff happens... <laughs> Our faith is weak because we don't have joy. Sometimes as Christians, our solution to gaining joy is to count our blessings. I remember as a kid we had this hymn we used to sing, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Anybody? A few old timers here. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. There's nothing wrong with counting your blessings. We need to do that. But when we say, well, the way I'm going to experience joy is to only focus on the good things that have happened, that's still just a form of happiness, a happiness coded in denial, maybe, by some people's observations. Even when we say, I'm going to find joy in the Lord by focusing on the good things that have happened to me, Even then, we're still missing out on what this joy is because this joy has nothing to do with what happens. 
There's this fascinating verse in the book of James, chapter 1. Say it with me. Consider it pure joy, my friends, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Okay, think about this. You should look at trials as a cause for joy. Just the opposite of how we approach our pursuit of happiness. So whatever this joy is, it is present in the most tragic of times and sometimes shows up there in ways that you'd never experience if everything that's happening is just good in your life. In fact, maybe one of the principles is that we really understand the depth of the joy that is ours in Christ when the cause of our happiness is gone. When all the things that we depend on for mere happiness disappear, then we have the opportunity to discover exactly what Christ meant by joy. C.S. Lewis, there was a play written about his marriage to a woman named Joy called Shadowland, and it was uh, turned into a movie about a decade ago or so. It chronicles their great love affair, but also the tragic death of his wife to cancer and how that marked Lewis. Much of his writing about the problem of pain and suffering was his exploring his faith in the midst of this tragedy. And one of the things that he writes after his wife's death is this. It is incredible how much happiness, how much joy we sometimes had together after all hope was gone. Have you ever experienced that? We've been pretty public as a family about the year for us, a lot of loss in our family, experienced other challenges. It's amazing how in the midst of those dark times there can be this sudden blooming of joy that is so intense. God's joy showing up in a way that happiness would fail. What then is this joy if it's not happiness? There are three words in Greek that intermingle. They're called cognates. They come from the same root word and therefore are connected with one another. The word for joy is kara. It shares the same root for the word grace, which is charis. And so what kara means is a deeply felt sense of well-being that results from knowing and experiencing God's grace. It's a very specific notion. Kara is the result in our lives, the sense of well-being that comes when we fully understand, embrace, and experience the grace of God in our life. I think that's why sometimes this joy is more profound in the most difficult seasons when God's grace is so real, when we're so dependent on it. There's a third word, kairo, which is the word rejoice. It's our expressing with celebration the joy that we've experienced because of the grace of God. So you have these three words. You have God's grace. Joy is the sense of well-being that comes from experiencing God's grace in our life. And rejoicing is our reaction to joy 
when we express it in ways that give glory and honor to God. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 1, we read, in this you greatly rejoice. If we go back to that passage, we see that the first verses that Jessica read for us speak about this living hope that is ours because of our faith and trust in Christ. And he says, it's in this that you rejoice, even though you go through trials, because that faith is producing this inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, in that case, the Greek word for rejoice is agaliao, And it almost means dance. You're so filled with the sense of joy that you can't contain it and you literally jump for joy. Picture um, Foxborough Stadium about 4.10. What time's kickoff today? 4.25. So about 4.27 when we score our first touchdown. (laughs) And the crowd is so filled with joy. What do they do? They can't help themselves. They jump, they applaud, they clap. That's the language that Peter's using when he says, in this you greatly rejoice. I love that thought, that there are times that no matter how dark it gets, God's joy is so real, we want to dance. That's the experience that we ought to have. So this joy, let me say it again, it's a deeply felt sense of well-being that results from knowing and experiencing God's grace, God's charis. Now, all that, to come finally back to the primary verse that was the theme of our whole Advent series. We took the declaration of the angel to the shepherds, good news of great joy, and we played off of it, and first we talked about great hope. That's also part of the good news. We talked about great peace, great love, and now good news of great joy. Let's turn there, Luke chapter two. And we're gonna explore what the angels said to the shepherds in the light of this idea of joy that flows out of a deep and real experience of God's grace. If that is indeed the joy that came through Christ, how can we look at this story of the angels and the shepherds in a different way? So I'd like to begin reading at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. All right. What I want to suggest is that this is the very first gospel sermon And it wasn't preached by an apostle, it wasn't preached by Jesus. It was preached by angels to shepherds who were the social outcasts of their day. Let me show you what I mean. We're gonna take it in three movements, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12. So verse 10, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you, what's the phrase? Good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news is evangelion, 
which is the gospel. So the angels literally are saying to them, I'm bringing you the gospel, which results in great joy. And it's for all people. So that's the first thing we see. Joy is about the good news and that that message is for everyone. Let me go to verse 10, and they actually explain what the good news is. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Here in this very simple verse, in summary form, is the essence of the gospel. First, in the city of David. That's the fulfillment of prophecy. That Jesus was the one that the prophets foretold would come. In the city of David, that's an allusion to royal lineage. All those things that were part of uh, the prophecies about Jesus. But then, three phrases are used to describe this baby that help us understand who he is and what he came to do. He is Savior, he is Christ, and he is the Lord. Those are exactly the essentials of who Jesus was. He came to be a Savior. Some in that day expected a conquering king, one who would come and politically deliver them from their oppressors, Rome. But this one who came would be a savior. He would save us from the oppression of sin, from the curse. 33 years later, he would hang on a cross suspended between heaven and earth, the sacrifice for your and my sins. He would be our savior. The angels declared it. A savior has been born to you. And then they clarify, he is Christ. Christ is Messiah. He is the one that the prophets foretold who would come. And then he goes on and he says, he is God. He is Christ the Lord. He is divine. He is Emmanuel, God with us. See, Those are the essential things that we all need to understand about Christ and why he came. He didn't come just to deliver the Sermon on the Mount with all the wisdom that's there about how we should live and how we should love and all those great teachings that that Jesus shared with us. It's not enough to follow Jesus just by trying to model his teachings. The angels pointed the path for the shepherds. It's not just about what he's going to say. It's about who he is and what he came to do. And if we're gonna follow this Jesus, we need to get in line with the shepherds. We need to acknowledge him as our savior. But not only that, we need to acknowledge him as sovereign and divine as Lord, Lord in our lives. So the first thing we see about this joy is that it's directly connected with the message of good news which is for every human being. And that message of good news is rooted in the person and work of Jesus, who is the Savior, who is the Christ. And then what do we see in verse 12? This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the angels were saying to the shepherds, your Savior has been born. He's Christ. And you can find him. You can find him. And you can worship him. And that's the gospel message, that Jesus is who he is. He did what he did. 
And each of us can find him and know him and worship him. Each of us can have our sins forgiven and be reconciled to the Father through him. You can find him. And then there's one more thing that takes place. What's the last thing that happens after the angels preach the first gospel message to the shepherds? Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. What's the result of the gospel as it is put forward by the angels? Joy, rejoicing. The result was a party. We see this whole beautiful pattern as we've seen in each of these themes of the season that all of them are rooted in the gospel. It's only when we fully experience the grace of God that we have this joy that endures and stands in all circumstances. Even if we're dealing with sorrow and anguish, even if we might uh, be struggling with understanding why and what to do in the midst of that, even the world can see this joy. And when they look at it, they say, I don't get it. It's inexpressible. It's, It's without words. But I see it in you, and I want it. When we embrace the gospel, the results of that joy in our life. I do want to challenge you about that. Let's just land for a few minutes on this notion, as I suggested earlier, that most of us confuse happiness with joy. So just think about that for a few moments. How does your ability to trust God have this sense of well-being? How strongly is that connected to the things that are happening in your life? Have you bought into this notion that if I follow Jesus and I do all the right things and I have a strong enough faith, then good things will happen in my life. And so you're actually pursuing happiness in pursuing Jesus. Why settle for that when what he promises is a deep and profound joy that transcends all those experiences? So how do we get there? How do we get there? Well, First of all, those of you here who are still exploring the ideas of following Jesus in the gospel, I think the first thing to help you understand is that all these things that we've talked about over this this holiday season, they're all just out of reach to you. They're just out of reach because you need to reach for Christ first. It's in coming to Jesus Christ that the living hope of our eternal security is present that the peace with God is found, which is at the core of all peace. It's through him that we have the supernatural sense of joy that we can't even explain to people. Maybe that's why I'm still looking for words. (laughs) Maybe I still feel like there's more I want to say to try to convince you, but that's the problem with this joy. Words fail. Words fail. What's at the core of it is your embracing God's grace. And you can only embrace God's grace when you know your need for it. When you recognize that I've got a need, I need forgiveness. If you think more highly of yourself than your ability to receive God's grace, you will never know this joy. It comes in admitting our fallenness, our need, so that when we receive his forgiveness, that grace that we find, his love and favor towards us, that grace so overwhelms us that it anchors our spirit in all circumstances. And holding them all together, 
is this agape love, as we learned last week, that nothing in all of creation can separate us from if we are in Christ Jesus. Have you received that grace? Are you trying to follow Jesus as a noble teacher whose ideas are worth studying and whose life is worth emulating? Or have you come to him as your savior and as your Lord? And then for those of us who are Christians, I wanna, I wanna suggest that we think very deeply about what this grace is that we received. Because it seems to me, if we're pursuing happiness, as soon as things start going wrong, we go to survival mode. And we're just trying to endure. And we settle for coming through the hard times, still having our faith intact. <laughs> I trusted God through it, now we're in better circumstances, and so I can take a, a spiritual deep breath. I, I think the idea of this inexpressible and glorious joy is that you're not enduring hardship, because in that setting you're still pursuing happiness. I think it's about constantly embracing the incredible gift of grace that is available to us at all times. I think when hard things happen, what James is saying is you consider it all joy. It's go to grace. Don't go to ground. <laughs> go to grace. Go to grace. Remind yourself of this incredible gift that God gave you that you did not deserve. That you still do not deserve and yet God gives you his grace by virtue of his love for you and the redemption of Christ. I think the more we explore and develop and experience and understand what this grace is all about, the more the joy overflows. I, I really think that's the path. And I think it's worth our remembering that. Grace is not just something we believe. It's something we experience and we live and we grow in. That's what the apostle says, grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that for each of us this year, that we would grow in grace, and as we grow in grace, we would overflow with unspeakable and glorious joy. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us for being so dependent on circumstances. Teach us as your children to understand that what we deserve because of our own choices, our own sin, is the worst of circumstances. That, that in the midst of anything, you can be found, grace is available, and joy unspeakable is ours. I thank you, Father, for that experience. I know there are people in this room who can thank you for providing that joy in the darkest of times this year. And what we wanna do, Father, is ask you to deepen our understanding of grace, something that we're touching, experiencing, so that it can be the source of joy. And I pray that the world would see that joy in us, be drawn to it, and run to it, and find you in Jesus' name, amen.